Before we begin, this podcast talks about mental health and well-being, so take care while listening. We hope you enjoy listening and learning from the podcast. The discussions we have are general in nature and do not take into account your own or your workplace-specific needs and circumstances. Therefore, it is not meant to take the place of specialist advice. Hello, welcome to the Workplace Wellbeing Matters podcast the podcast that talks about wellbeing that works for the health and community services sector. Join us on this episode as we talk about incivility in the workplace, what incivility is, what it looks like, so some practical examples, and also what you can do about it to create a more harmonious and collaborative workplace. I'm delighted to be joined today by Dr. Tina Hola, who is the Associate Professor for International Management at the University of Melbourne in Australia. Her research interests include global teamwork, the management of cross-cultural differences in norms, communication, coordination and meeting practices, and workplace incivility. So welcome, Tina. Thank you very much for having me, Linda. To start off, I thought we might just tease out what is incivility? It's a word that we often hear, maybe not necessarily a word that we can describe or explain or know a lot about. Yes, and and there are certainly different definitions uh, as well in terms of the context that we uh, tend to talk about incivility. So let me maybe start with the definition that we use in the research area when we talk about workplace incivility. Uh, And that definition basically defines incivility as low-intensity deviant behavior with ambiguous intent to harm the target in violation of workplace norms for mutual respect. Now, that's that's a lot in a sentence. So I'm going to break that down a little bit to just kind of see if we can make sense of that a little bit more. The first kind of part of that is that behaviors are deemed uncivil when they are deviant behaviors that violate workplace norms. And those norms need to be norms from mutual respect. So kind of what we think is appropriate behavior in the workplace that is you know, professional and that is uh, respectful of our respective colleagues or our leaders. So really a foundation then is to have really well-established and understood norms within an organisation. Would that be a fair comment? Absolutely, yes. So if you are in an organisation that doesn't have a lot of well-understood norms, then of course it becomes quite ambiguous what the right behaviors are. So what the behaviors are that constitute respectful interactions between colleagues. One of the things, for example, like if I if I think about, you know, team member Bob in our kind of little work team, and team member Bob is one of those team members who rarely contributes to any meetings. He doesn't really take on work roles that don't serve his purposes. So kind of really just focuses on his own uh, goals. He's often productive because he's actually pulling himself out of all sorts of responsibilities and leaves that to his team members. Uh, He may even, you know, kind of use some of their work and sells it as his own um, and gets maybe even rewarded for that from the leaders, right? So may even get acknowledgement for work that wasn't even his and often just sees his team members when he needs something from them. So all of his team members would hate him because essentially they would think he's very uncivil towards us because he doesn't contribute. Uh, he only uses us when he needs us. 
uh, he never actually reciprocates our goodwill, right? So he never actually um, does his job the way that we do our job. And of course, there is kind of this idea of we all have specified work roles. So we all have tasks that are allocated to us that are very specific. That's not necessarily what we're talking about. We're talking about the kind of behaviors that lead to teamwork that we have to do together, right? Because there are a lot of things that we have to do in a team that may not be related directly to the task at hand. If, if somebody doesn't contribute to them, a lot of other people will feel that they're being uncivil. And if we take that into the health and community services context, you know, it is so important that we collaborate with our, you know, team members and we extend that also to our patients or clients or consumers or participants. Yeah, so there, there are a lot of tasks that we usually have to do or a lot of jobs that we have to do as part of our job that need that collaboration and that collegiality, right? And so I think it falls often under collegiality, what we're thinking about. And if that's not there, then we often perceive a person to be uncivil towards us. Now, the other big component here is that ambiguity. So I kind of want to maybe hone in on that a little bit more. Because unlike other workplace mistreatment forms, such as bullying or discrimination, with incivility, there is an ambiguity of intention. So we don't, we cannot quite know if the person who was incivil to us actually meant to be incivil to us. You know, there, there's a bit of that gray zone because on the one hand, as you said earlier, in workplaces, we may not always have clear norms. So somebody might not have set exactly the norm of you ought to work together like this. You know, we may have situations, especially in multicultural contexts, where somebody is actually behaving uh, very respectfully according to their own cultural rules, but that same behavior is interpreted as uh, disrespectful in another culture. So, for example, in, in quite a few of the Western cultures, it, it's very uh, much expected that team members might point out to the leader when there's a problem or when a plan is not working that the team leader has uh, established or when some of their thinking might not be quite uh, accurate or might not fit the situation very well. Whereas in a lot of Eastern cultures, questioning your leader or doubting them, uh, and especially doing that in front of others, is basically a big no-no. So you, you could never do that and get away with it. Following one set of norms means violating another set. And, and that makes it difficult to say, you know, were they being mean? Were they being, you know, offensive? Or did they just not know? That's a really interesting point because I know I've certainly been in situations where someone said something to me or it might just be the tone of their voice and it's just left me with that question, like just left me wondering, oh, what did they actually mean by that? And it's something that I will go back to and kind of ruminate on because of that ambiguity, you know, because of the uncertainty. And I can also think of an example. I was doing some work with an organization, so a community service organization that was bringing together multiple different programs and they had their corporate services and they had the programs that are client-focused programs. And uh, they were all coming together in this kind of new building, this new site. So employees in the organization who worked in the, the kind of client-facing uh, human element side of the, the roles were saying to me, gosh, you know, the people in corporate services, you know, they just don't acknowledge us. They don't talk to us. You know, we um, walk past them to go to the photocopier or they're standing there. You know, there's no interaction. 
And the view of the corporate services people was, oh my gosh, I had no idea. People expected me to say hello to them when I was waiting, you know, for my printing. So it is really interesting, isn't it? Both from a cultural perspective and perhaps even from, you know, the norms that are established in different professions or different parts of organisations as well. So I think that that example kind of covers both norms and ambiguity really, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and you see this in, in a lot of different professional areas as well. So for for example, I do a lot of research on construction projects in the construction industry. And as you just said, I mean, there are norms about how architects do their jobs and how engineers do their jobs. And quite often when they come together, there are clashes because they have different professional norms in terms of how the work should get done uh, or who should be in charge uh, or who has the right to ask for certain pieces of information. So all of these things can undermine successful communication and can create perceptions of instability. So I think one thing to point out is it's a very normal situation. It's actually, it happens to normal people all the time. It's not, again, like other workplace mistreatment forms where we think of, you know, the perpetrator and the victim, like there is this kind of evil person that is out to get others. With incivility, that's not necessarily the case. We're all at the danger of being incivil to each other, sometimes without even knowing about it. We might have had our best intentions in terms of how we're basically working with others, but the uh, the way that somebody else interprets it is built in their own uh, expectations for how that work needs to get done. So I think your sample, your example, actually works quite well. And I think you know we all have stresses and our own individual way of being able to self regulate in the moment, and you know all of those sorts of things. So I guess they would contribute to how we present and behave towards others at any given point in time as well. Yes, absolutely, and so. With incivility in particular, I think what we see more even than with the other forms of workplace mistreatment is that a lot of organizational context factors and structures contribute to um, whether or not people are being incivil to each other or perceive incivility from others. And so some of our usual suspects are amongst those, you know, high stress situations, massive time pressures, you know, when basically we we don't have the time to think about how we're communicating. So we write this email in haste, not reading it again to make sure that we're that we've actually, you know, requested something that we need nicely. Uh, that can already, you know, set somebody else off who might also be stressed and feels a bit overwhelmed by another request. We can see things like competitive work structures that are being built uh, that can contribute to forms of incivility because, you know, my success uh, is built on somebody else's uh, lack of success. So all of these things that we think about um, that can create negative workplaces and, and hostile workplaces, of course, also contribute to incivility. And incivility often some of the first forms of Uh, stress and and dysfunctioning organizational structures that we see. That's really interesting. And I'm I'm wondering about roles, again, just relating it back to the health and community services sector. It's a sector that is often under stress. There's a really high demand for services and it's often uh, under-resourced as well. So whether that creates a tension or a competition for resources, oh, yeah. you know, those sorts of things as well, and whether that could potentially contribute to incivility. 
Oh, yes. And and so some forms of incivility are uh, when you're knowingly kind of withholding or not sharing resources, right? So, I mean, basically, when, when you have access to a shortcut, for example, and you deliberate whether you should really share this with a colleague because, you know, well, they haven't shared theirs last time that you asked them for something or, you know, they haven't invited you to lunch lately. It, it's really also sometimes these behaviors or decision points that seem very benign, but, you know, they, they kind of accumulate, right? They, they generate a culture of lack of collegiality, of a, of a lack of reaching out and connection and uh, collaborativeness. And they just then stack up. And so we, and we respond often with, you know, our acts of incivility. And, that, and that's, that's the other really important thing, I think, to note about incivility. You know, once somebody starts and it doesn't kind of get called out, uh, usually acts of incivility just cause retaliatory acts of incivility. So, so if we go back to kind of team member Bob that we talked about earlier, who doesn't contribute to the work projects and who's taking other people's, people's work and sells it his own, what his team members might do as a response is that, you know, they're not inviting him to meetings or, you know, they're not sharing important pieces of information with him because, you know, why should they? I mean, he hasn't done anything for them lately. You know, they may get to the point where they're actually also showing uncivil behaviors towards Bob. And so Bob might, might feel like, oh, I need to go see my mentor and talk about that because they're treating me, you know, <laughs> in a mean way. And he'd be right. They are. But the problem is that, you know, there is this spiral that will start happening where somebody starts the process. Maybe there is a little bit of kind of hesitation to immediately retaliate, but eventually it'll happen. And it may not just happen from the person that felt offended. It may also happen by other people who've seen this behavior. So it can escalate quite quickly if you're in a team situation. And if then the leader basically steps in and sides with Bob, oh, my God, you know, now, now we're in this <laughs> perfect storm where we're undermining the whole workplace culture, right? So it's it's also very hard for the leader from the outside to see what's happening, right? So that's why it's almost more important from the start to create very strong workplace norms for collegiality and for explaining what the workplace should look like, what we what we expect of each other and what desirable behaviors are. I know that there's some really interesting language in the literature around incivility. So they don't talk about perpetrator victim as we do in uh, lots of other areas. They talk about, is it instigators and targets? Is that yeah. the language you use? Yeah, because, you know, instigators and targets can switch at any point in time, right? So I can be the target in one situation, but then if I retaliate, I become the instigator, right? So the, the perpetrator versus victim language very much kind of thinks that there is just kind of one perpetrator. So there's one main person who does all the evil doing and the victim is always in that victim situation. With, with incivility, that's probably not the case. It's something that can switch quite quickly and where all of us probably at some point or another contribute to it. Some of us might even think that that's a defensive mechanism, right? To just kind of push back uh, if we feel that we've been treated uncivilly will push back by being uncivil back, maybe to make a point. The problem is that a lot of these behaviors, even though they are small, they actually contribute to a larger environment in the workplace that feels increasingly negative and that feels increasingly prohibitive to collegiality. Over time, it stacks up and it's very hard to rebuild a positive workplace culture once you've lost it. 
Mm. But to some degree, it's really important to talk about these things very early. So that we, we already talked about the importance of norm setting. But also, if you're in a situation where you feel, you know, somebody has been uncivil to you, it, it's actually really important to raise it because of that ambiguity of intent, right? So we need to find out, was it actually meant like that? Or was there something else going on? So that helps us reframe and reshift what we're thinking about that incident. There are a number of impacts of incivility, aren't there? So if we start thinking about what are the negative impacts on individuals, on workplaces and productivity, what are some of the things um, that we might see in terms of impacts? Yeah, I think one of the first things, of course, that I think we see immediately coming is a lack of trust. And trust is one of those workplace constructs that is really important for everything. So it's important for how we actually communicate with each other. It's important for our productivity because, you know, we, you can't perform well if you're constantly monitoring your colleagues about whether or not they're really doing what they're supposed to be doing or whether they're out to get you. I mean, that that's just a really <laughs> not, not a conducive way to get your own work done. So incivility erodes trust pretty early. It, it also... I think it makes us just deeply uncomfortable, right? Because in a way, we feel that we have to be on our toes and vigilant. That can be quite stressful, which in turn, of course, uses up resources, cognitive use resources, uses up our emotional resources. So it's a bit of a slippery slope from here. So that can, of course, lead to things like exhaustion and burnout and things like that. It's a larger effect of being in a workplace that, that basically sets a very bad uh, climate for employees to be in. Absolutely. And I read in a literature review that the impact of incivility carries over from work into the home life, right? Yep. So if you've experienced a perceived incivility, then you'll take that home with you. It will influence the way you interact with, you know, your people at home, whoever they happen to be, partners, children. And this piece of research indicated that even then your partner is likely to take it back into their workplace. So not only is it impacting your workplace and home life, it's potentially then having that ripple effect to other workplaces as well, which I just thought was fascinating. Well, work family, I mean, is an interesting, I think, area because in a way work family research finds both this kind of what we call work family conflict. So when, when basically we carry things back into our family context that then challenges our home life. And as you said, maybe that gets carried forward. And at the same time, of course, there's research that shows that uh, the family can be actually a support system, right? A, a source of restoring some of the energies and resources that we lost at work. So I think both are possible. And we definitely see evidence for both in the literature. You know, it's going to be interesting to see how far some of the research that looks specifically at work and family interactions can take it forward to say, okay, which kind of things make it such that family becomes a buffer or that it becomes a restorative? And what kinds of things uh, such that, you know, our influences at work uh, make the family situation worse because both of them definitely exist. It's just a question of when does one happen, when does the other happen. Yeah. Which is another fascinating field of research too, yes. I think. We've talked about the impact of incivility. So then what are some strategies to mitigate and manage it? Yeah, so from an individual level, I think there are really kind of two things I want to highlight. So, so the first thing is, so if you are in the position of the target, so when you feel offended, so the first thing I'd recommend is like take a step back. So emotionally, just kind of do a bit of a cool off and, and really ask yourself, 
why does this actually upset me? Whatever has happened, why does it upset me? Why am I offended by it? So the first question goes to what is it in me, in my expectations of social interactions that makes me think that this behavior was inappropriate? So we need to first and foremost realize what norm does that actually violate? What norm am I holding that this somehow upsets? And then basically you have to ask yourself, well, could the person who said something to me have meant it in a different way? What are alternative explanations rather than they were out to get me? So that would kind of be the, the idea of when I'm in the situation of feeling offended. And, and that's always a, a good thing to just kind of take that reflective step and, and de-escalate, right? So <laughs> find some explanations for what has happened. Now, if I'm in the situation where I have offended somebody, and sometimes you can tell, right? So you say something and somebody has that facial reaction where you're like, oh, I, I did something. I just don't know what. You then ask yourself, okay, how could what I've been said uh, might have been interpreted differently than what I intended. So just kind of have a think about it yourself first. So what might be the meaning that somebody else might have attached to that? But it's also often a good idea to maybe ask the other person, right? And to basically see, so I see you're upset. That was not my intention to upset you. So maybe tell me what you heard, because, you know, we need to figure out what I meant to say and what you heard and hopefully make that the same because we might be miscommunicating. And it's that making explicit process that's really very important because it helps us over time to learn about each other, right? To learn about the fact that somebody else has a particular way of communicating. And when you learn that, then you sometimes can better interpret what they actually meant when they said it. To maybe give a very simple example, I worked with a British colleague for a little while. We went together to a conference and she was complaining. So this was a conference set in the U.S. And she was complaining about how cold the conference rooms are. So how high they were turning up the air conditioning and that they, she was freezing the whole time. So I said to her, you know, why don't you put on some more clothes? And she actually asked about me, um, about a colleague of mine, because she's like, is, is that was that meant to be rude? Because, I mean, I, I was totally properly dressed. So she kind of understood as if I was suggesting that she was somehow scantily dressed. Yeah. <laughs> and in my mind, it's like, well, you're cold. The room is cold. It's not going to get any warmer. Got to put on some clothes. I mean, it was a logical progression. <laughs> it's practical, right? It's like yeah. a practical strategy. But for her, she felt she felt like I was suggesting whatever she was wearing was totally inappropriate. And of course, you know, that's it's the kind of thing that you don't often think about. And and she didn't raise it to me. I'm actually glad she raised it with one of our. <laughs> join friends and that friend said, nah, that's just Tina. Her brain works like that. But it's good when people raise it. It, it actually brings out some of those tendencies for communication that we have. And so leaders can um, help the teams actually communicate about, for example, well, we have to have meetings all the time. How do we want to have meetings? How do we call for a meeting? Who, who can call for a meeting? Do we want to have some socializing at the beginning of the meeting or not? Who gets to talk? Do we want to so, like assign particular times during a meeting that somebody can talk just so that we don't talk over each other and people don't feel offended because they're being interrupted? It's things like that that we sometimes have to make a whole lot more explicit and to generate some norms and some rules for us. Because then it becomes clear when somebody doesn't follow the rules and we can then very easily say, remember, we, we talked about how we want to have meetings. You're currently not adhering to it. So let's go back to what we talked about. That makes it a lot more likely that we have less incivil interactions. 
Fantastic. And I think making explicit is so important, isn't it? In some parts of the health and community service sector, people use one-page profiles. So they might have a one-page profile for clients. I have a one-page profile for myself. Um, Some organisations use them for staff, that sort of thing. As a consultant, if I'm working closely with an organisation on a project, I will forward them through my one-page profile. And my one-page profile will have things like, you know, what my strengths are, It will have my, you know, preferred communication. It will have, you know, what's important to me, like a whole range of things. And one of the things I often put is that I'm very task focused. And sometimes I can get so task focused that I just forget the niceties. And it's not that I'm, you know, trying to be rude or uncivil or anything like that. It's, you know, that I'm in my head. And so that's something that I will put in my, you know, in my profile. Sometimes I do get really task focused. I can forget the niceties. I respond well to humor, you know, just let me know, hey, you know, and it's really interesting because I was reading some journal articles in preparation for the interview with yourself. And so reading up about incivility and there's a Another person and I have worked together in various different ways over about the past 25 years. And we were both managers in a community health organization. Our offices were next to each other and we shared an assistant, a PA. And I would often just walk into her office and just go, blah, you know, whatever was topical that I, I was seeking advice on. And I'd forget to say hello and, you know, all of those other sorts of things that we expect. And so I had breakfast with her on Monday and after I'd read all the research on incivility and I said to her, oh my gosh, I've just realized (laughs) all of these years, you know, I was being uncivil to you. And she just laughed. She's like, you know, we have that kind of relationship. It's understood. We don't take offense. And, you know, and I think we also have that level of trust um, with each other that, that we've developed, I guess, that, that norm of communicating that to any outside observer might kind of seem quite abrupt, but for Mm -hmm. us, that's, uh, it works, you know. So yeah, I think that's a good example, also because we got to think about. So with some of our colleagues, these kind of relationships built more easily than with others. When we feel relatively safe, because we think, well, somebody else actually understands what I'm what I'm saying and doing. It, it's easier to open up and have these explicit discussions. But so it's it's in a way a leader's job to have those discussions, open up those discussions with everybody, even with the people we don't like so much, because they they may not be communicating the way that we want them to. But that's where it's especially important, of course. That's where, you know, we got to say, okay, so like you said, I need kind of my communications or communications to be directed at me in a certain way. That'll ensure that I'll probably be more responsive to them. But, you know, tell me also how you want to be communicated to. And that way I can at least, you know, when I have the mental resources, put that in. And I think it's all about, you know, showing effort. I mean, it's, it's really, there. there is a level of goodwill there that comes from knowing that in, in the normal situations, people actually cater to somebody else's preferences. People take that extra step and, and make sure that they're being nice. That buffers them for those kind of situations when everybody's stressed, because we, we can then know that's not normal. So we'll, we'll then be more forgiving. So there is a bit of that inoculation that has to happen through good normal behaviors 
so that we can excuse the unnormal, non-normal behavior. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So anything else in terms of workplaces or leaders that they can do to create more of a harmonious and collaborative culture? I mean, it's always really important that kind of workplaces overall, HR and leaders together, look at the structures that they're building, right? So look at the communications that they're putting out there. Am I creating a competitive workplace where essentially promotions are competitive, where access to resources is competitive? If I'm doing that, there's very little chance that I'm successful at eradicating incivility from the workplace because almost built into the system. So I I need to think about uh, as an HR manager and as a leader, how can we build a positive system, right? How can we build a system of collegiality and how do we then communicate that and reinforce it, right? So we got to reinforce the right kind of behaviors and punish the ones that aren't the kind of behaviors we want to see. And that's just an ongoing effort. I mean, that's just something that needs to get reviewed all the time. We need to think about, you know, what are the, what is the culture we want to create? And of course, there's a whole kind of massive literature on, on creating positive workplace cultures. And so it's really, it, it is that. It's it's making sure that your day-to-day actions reflect what you want to see in the workplace. Because incivility is a day-to-day practice, it also means that the prevention of incivility is a day-to-day practice. Thank you so much. That has been so interesting and enlightening and also practical in terms of practical examples that uh, people, whatever their role in workplaces, can take away to help create a culture that is uh, harmonious and collaborative. Thanks a lot also, Linda, for bringing in all of your examples. I think they fit really well with what we've been talking about. So yeah, so I hope that people kind of think a little bit more when they have situations happening to them now in the future, how they can take their step back to potentially create a better workplace environment around them. As usual, we've packed a lot into this episode. And it's been wonderful to be able to have a conversation with Tina Kohler. We've so loved connecting with you and sharing insights into incivility in the workplace and how if you do experience incivility, either as a a target or an instigator, some practical strategies to work through that. We want to know what you think and have been inspired by any questions you might like answered or contributions you'd like to make to the podcast. So leave a review or contact us via matters at workplacewellbeingnatters.com.au. If you would like to explore how we can help you on your journey, submit a case study or comment uh, for us to include in our podcast. We look forward to next time. Thanks for joining us and bye for now.